All right, if you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, if you'll take it and turn to the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the blessing of waking up another morning to worship you. Lord, we pray that everything that we continue to say and do and sing would all be for your glory, honor, and praise. And Father, right now during this sermon time, Father, I pray especially that you would feed your people. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open ears and eyes and hearts. And Father, I pray that we would behold great things from your word. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have been keeping up with what we've been doing over the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Acts. Um, we talked about that the writer of Acts is Dr. Luke, the same gentleman who wrote the book of Luke, writes the book of Acts. It's kind of one continuous work separated into two volumes. And the book of Luke, he sets out to, to talk about the things that Jesus taught and preached in chronological order, all the way up until the time that Jesus uh, raises from the dead. And so you have the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, everything that he taught. Well, uh, a lot of the things that he taught. And then we move into the book of Acts and Acts is going to deal with when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene, what the apostles do through the equipping of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Uh, you start reading through the end of the book of Luke, the beginning of the book of Acts, and the disciples are all gathered in the upper room. Jesus has given them a commandment to wait in Jerusalem until the gift of the Holy Spirit comes down. And so you have this group of people, about 120 in number, that they're in the upper room. They're praying, they're worshiping, they're in unity, and they're waiting exactly like Jesus told them to. And Acts chapter 1-8 is kind of the thesis for the whole book. that says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as we keep going through the book of Acts, you're going to see this... Acts chapter 1, 8 unfold and the disciples, that 120 in number, are going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so as you keep going through the book of Acts, Peter stands up to lead the group and he tells them that it must be so because of the scriptures that Judas be replaced. And so they pick a man by the name of Matthias. He replaces Judas. And now as of last week, the Holy Spirit has fallen on this group of 120 new believers and they've had the supernatural ability through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to speak in other tongues. And we said that these are other languages because there's men from every surrounding nation gathered together in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And all of these other people can hear the disciples, that 120 in number, can hear them speaking of the great and mighty deeds of God, each in their own language, right? Give me a little head nod. That was a pretty good review. Hopefully, hopefully that jogged your memory. And so at the end of that, we had some people are scoffing at the disciples and they're wondering what's going on. So what is happening here? And then somebody comes along as a scoffer and says they must be drunk. That's what's going on. That settles the whole thing. And so right after chapter 2 verse 13 that says, But others were mocking and saying they were full of sweet wine. Peter's not good with that in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. Peter stands up to explain what's going on. And so in Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 21, 
excuse me, verses 14, yeah, through 21, Peter explains exactly what's going on with tongues of fire resting on their heads and each one speaking in a different language. And listen to Peter's explanation. But Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter stands up and he opens the scriptures to the book of Joel and he tells them exactly what's going on in their current contact context with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so I've told you before that when you're reading through Old Testament prophecies, the prophets had kind of twofold prophecies. You had an immediate fulfillment usually of the prophecy, and then you had a distant fulfillment of the prophecy. And so oftentimes there would be a, a normal, cut and dry meaning of what the prophecy was, and then there would be a more deep meaning when the Messiah came, this, when this prophecy was going to ultimately be fulfilled. And so just because you read through a prophecy doesn't mean that everything is going to be fulfilled at the same time. And so within Peter's interpretation of the book of Joel, it shall be in the last days. This is verse 17. God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And so Peter's is taking from this prophecy says, Hey gang, this is what the prophet Joel said. Nobody here has been drinking. All of this is prophecies being fulfilled out of the book of Joel. I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind and then even on bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. And so this isn't something that is just for the men here in the book of Acts. This is something that's happening to the men and women because it's safe to assume that all of the Marys that are mentioned in scripture are probably in that group of 120. There's probably more women as well. And so this, this is not just men that the spirit's being poured out on. And remember, if you... Remember back to some of the things we've talked about the Holy Spirit. When the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on all mankind, this is mind-blowing to the early church. Because Moses, David, those are the types of people that had God's Spirit resting on them so that they could do mighty acts of God. And so this is the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Elijah and Elisha and all of the other prophets who did great and mighty things. This Holy Spirit is now available to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Peter says. And this would have been fabulous news for the early church. And so what happens next is that he tells them what's going on with why does there seem to be confusion because people are speaking in different languages and he begins into a sermon explaining to them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you go to Acts chapter 2 verse 22 and this is where he begins his sermon, not just his explanation of what's going on with the tongues of fire. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, 
you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so this is the first proof that Peter gives of why Jesus rose from the dead. And so Peter's first proof to the people is, listen, gang, Jesus was among you, right? And so if you remember when we were going through that overview of John, do you remember at the very end of John, he writes, if everything that Jesus did was to be compiled, that the volumes of the world wouldn't be able to contain all of the great and mighty things that Jesus did. You remember that? And so that's just a reminder to jog your memory that everything that Jesus did, you don't know about. So he was doing all sorts of fascinating things during his three and a half year ministry. And they're not all written down. Okay. And so it would be feasible to think that every single person in Jerusalem, about a million people, they think know exactly who Jesus is because he traveled all around Israel, healing the lame, healing the blind, causing dumb people to speak. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He did all sorts of miracles. And so all of these people would have known what Jesus could do. And they would have known the great power that was on his life. They would have known that that Jesus was innocent and not worthy of death. And he would have been the most mind-blowing human they had ever met in their entire life. And they would have known deep down inside that it's impossible for you to kill a man like that. And so his first proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead says that Jesus was among you. You knew him, he was attested by God, and he told you that he was going to raise from the dead, right? And so that's his first proof that Jesus raised from the dead. And then he goes on, he gives another proof. So the first one is that you knew Jesus. Then in verse 25, it says, for David said of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then he says in verse 29, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet, And knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. And so the first proof that Peter gives that Jesus rose from the dead was that Jesus was among you. You know who he was, what he was about, and you know that he was God's son and he said he was going to raise from the dead. Second proof, if you don't believe who Jesus said he was, the second proof is that David, your king, our king, was also a prophet and David spoke of a day when the holy one who was going to be put on David's throne would raise from the dead and he says brethren I can tell you that when David talked about someone raising from the dead he wasn't talking about himself because he could turn around and he could point to the proximity of where David's tomb was and he could say gang David's with us to this day but Jesus was greater than David And Jesus is the one who David was talking about. And so you have not just Jesus attested to himself. David prophesied hundreds of years before about who Christ was and that the Christ was going to raise from the dead. And then if that's not enough, there's a fourth. And it it starts in verse 32. It says, this Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. 
Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so he gives the the next two proofs. And the first, excuse me, the third proof is that Peter looks at the group and he says, listen, we're all witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there was 120 in the room, but Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. And so he says, listen, if Jesus saying who he said he was wasn't enough, if the patriarch David, who is our king and prophet, if that wasn't enough, then we all personally saw with our own eyes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With our own eyes. We saw it. So you have all of these people available attesting to the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, okay, if that's not enough, there's another prophecy by, by Jesus that says that when he goes, this is in verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, if, if you don't believe in those other three proofs of the resurrection, the other evidence of the resurrection is that Jesus told us he was going to go. And when he went to the Father, he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, ta-da, you're witnessing the Holy Spirit amongst us right now, Peter says. And this Holy Spirit came because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, then I'll send you the Spirit. And so Jesus didn't just die because Jesus didn't say that when he died, then the Holy Spirit would automatically come. But he said that when he died, then he would send something. So so listen to this, gang. Jesus didn't post-date the Holy Spirit to come to his people. He died. He stayed in the grave for three days. And then when he beat death, he kept his promise of sending the Holy Spirit to his people. And Peter says, this is the proof that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That he sent the Holy Spirit exactly like he said he would. And then he continues the rest of his sermon. And he says, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says. And so David writes this psalm. This is Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, Peter says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so you got to get this scene. There's 120 people that are waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend. The Holy Spirit descends on his people. And this Peter, who days before rejected Jesus, stands up and gives the most bold presentation of the gospel to a group of people who were as anti-Jesus as you could ever find. Because they just finished crucifying Jesus and they let a murderer go. And so these are the same people who the king stands before him, or the governor stands before him and says, here's Jesus And here's the other man. Boy, his name just left me. Somebody bail me out. So it left you too. Barabbas. Yeah, Barabbas is the guy who I'm trying to think of. Good deal. That's why it's important you sit close to the front so I can hear you when I need you to bail me out. And so this this governor stands before the people. And he can give you Barabbas, who's a thief and a murderer. Or he can give you Jesus. And the people yell, crucified Jesus. And so these are not people who are going to be sympathetic to a bold message from Peter. 
These are people who just crucified the king of the world. And Peter takes his stand and he says, this Jesus who you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. This is the same Peter who just denied Christ days before to a little girl around a bonfire. Listen to this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And that is the conclusion of Peter's sermon. You killed the Messiah. God still did something great with him. And listen to the words that he uses. That's why I went back to read them to make sure I got them right. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The word Lord, the definition of the word Lord means supreme in authority. Get this? Supreme in authority. And so this Jesus that you killed, God made him the supreme in authority. And he also calls him Christ, the anointed one or the Messiah. And if you have any sort of Jewish background, all of your life, you've been looking forward to the Messiah. And so starting in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, you have that the seed of a woman is going to crush the head of a serpent. And that's your first glimpse at the sent one. And so God's going to send the seed of a woman to crush the head of Satan. You fast forward into the life of Abraham and, and God promises Abraham when he tells him, don't give your son Isaac as an offering. He says, I'll provide the lamb. And so you're looking forward to this lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world that John the Baptist is talking about. And so all throughout the scriptures, all throughout, when you get into the book of Isaiah, where you talk about the horn of Jesse, the stump, the, the shoot, the offspring of Jesse, you talk about all of these things that are going to be true of the Messiah. Peter stands up and says, God made the man you killed both Lord and Messiah. And so how would you like for a man to stand up in front of you and say that the person who all your hope has been in for your whole life and your forefather's whole life, you just killed him? How'd that sit with you? That'd be pretty lousy, wouldn't it? Before we get into how the people responded the truth of this sermon that Peter preaches is true of us also. Your sin, my sin, the sin of your children, the sin of your parents, all of that sin is responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross. And so it's easy to read this sermon and go, oh, wow, <laughs> Peter gave it to him. They had it bad. But the truth of the matter is, church, that we are just as guilty for the Savior dying as anybody else was. Because if you were the only individual on this earth and you had sinned, God still would have sent His Son and His Son still would have had to die for your sins. And so we didn't hold the knife when Jesus died, but our guilt is what nailed Jesus to the cross just like the guilt of those people. But there's good news. And listen to how the people respond. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, excuse me, whom you crucified. Now, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said, 
Peter. This pierced to the heart means violently shaken. They were violently shaken in their heart. And this could go one of two ways, right? When someone is violently shaken in their heart, two things usually happen. They usually want to deal with it and make it better, or they want to fight. Okay? You're going to find times throughout the book of Acts where the apostles preach and people are cut to the heart and they say things like these people. What shall we do to be saved? And there's other times where the Pharisees are cut to the heart and they pick up rocks to stone the messenger. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit can drive people to do two things. Call out for repentance or dig their heels in and fight. And brothers and sisters, we want to be like this group of 3,000 people. Because listen to what they do. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them in verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized that day, and there were added about 3,000 souls. And I want you to see that this sermon that Peter, Peter preached was not some seeker-friendly, pat-you-on-the-back, you're-doing-okay-God-loves-everybody type sermon. Listen to some of the components of the sermon. God sent his son Jesus. You rejected him and killed him. And if you'll repent of your sins, that God who you rejected and killed will have mercy on your soul, will save you of your sins, and will give you eternal life in heaven. That same message is for us today, right? God loves you and sent his son. If you're living your life for you, you're rejecting that offering that God sent to pay for your sins, right? If you're living a, a selfish, unrepentant life, you're rejecting the Savior. But if you'll repent of your sin, what sin? The sin of rejecting Jesus as your Savior and whatever, whatever thing else is going. If you'll repent of that, God will forgive you of your sins. Listen to this. He's talking to the people who were just yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And Peter's standing in front of them saying, if you'll repent of your sins, that same God who you crucified will not only save you, he'll save your children as well and everyone who's far off and the gift of the Holy Spirit will be yours. That is fabulous news. And so brothers and sisters, you will never sin so much that if you repent of your sin and cry out to God for him to forgive you, that he won't forgive you and your children and all who are far off of their sins. And that is beautiful news. But something has to happen before you can be forgiven of your sins. You have to come to a place of repentance before you can be saved of any sin. You hearing that? I didn't misspeak. You have to be repentant in your heart. Before you're forgiven of any sin. Because God is love and he will forgive you of any sin. But it takes repenting and turning from that sin before he'll save you. But then he won't just save you. 
He'll save your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren. And he'll save the rest of the gang also. Anybody who will call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And that is fabulous news. And so look, let's look a little more at what he says. So these people are pierced to the heart. And they ask the question, what do we have to do? Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And so the King James Version reads, it sounds a little bit like you have to repent and be baptized to be saved. And that's uh, it's just it's just not a good reading of it. You you have to repent of your sins and have faith in Jesus Christ to be saved from your sins. And then you repent as an excuse me. Then you be baptized as a public showing that you're identifying yourself with Christ. You following me? Give me a little head nod to make sure that all makes sense. Because listen to this. There's enough big guys in here that if all it took was for you to be baptized, we'd lock the doors and dunk you before you left, right? If that was the case, if that's all it took to save people, we would put on a carnival show, we'd fill up the tank, and we would send everyone home soaking wet. That would be the most effective thing to do. I think word would spread and people would stop coming, but, but that would be the most effective thing to do for a little while. But Peter, they're pierced to the heart. What do we do to be saved? Peter says, repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he's not just offering eternal life and forgiveness of sins to these Jews who want to be saved. He's offering the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. And so that same Holy Spirit that these 120 were given was given to you also when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins. And that same Holy Spirit that was given to them for a particular purpose, and that purpose was so that they would be witnesses of the resurrection, is in your life also. And so if, if you want the Holy Spirit to do great in mighty things in your life, you need to be giving witness to the resurrection. Because when God's people, who are called by his name, get serious about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and the resurrection is, if not the most important part of the gospel, when people are giving testimony to that, God does incredible things through the working of his Holy Spirit. And we all have access to that indwelling inside of us. And so, brothers and sisters, I want you to pray this week that God would show you where he wants you to give witness to the resurrection and what sort of great and mighty thing he wants to do through you. Because you, if you have repented, if you have believed, you've been baptized, you have that same Holy Spirit living inside of you. And God wants to do great and mighty things through you exactly like he did through the prophet David, exactly like he did through the prophet Elijah, and exactly like he did through the rest of the gang who had the Holy Spirit because God has given it to us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then he says, and this promise isn't just for you. It's for everybody that the Lord will call for your friends, or excuse me, for your family and all who are fall far off. And so there's only one or two other things that I want you to see throughout here. One of them is that when the people ask, what must we do to be saved? They're not just talking to Peter. They're talking to the whole group of people, right? And so that whole group of 120 people are involved in these 3000 people getting saved because the question isn't Peter, what do we have to do? To be saved. The question is, brethren, plural, what do we have to do 
And so it would make sense that all of these 120 people who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit play a part in leading 3,000 people to Christ. It'd be very unreasonable for you to think that Peter led 3,000 people to Christ. And so what I would like to see happen is that the 120 we have gathered here as active members of Cashew Baptist Church, I would like to see all 120 of us involved in seeing people come to Christ. I would love to see that. I would love for you to just take the reins and be leading people to Christ left and right and then pick up the phone or text me and call me and tell me about it because I'd love to celebrate with you, right? Wouldn't that be amazing if the same Holy Spirit that equips me to lead people to Christ was equipping every single one of you to lead people to Christ as well? And then as you keep going, you find that much to some of your surprise, you short sermon likers out there, this wasn't the whole sermon for the day, right? He didn't get up there, say two pages worth of 12 point font stuff. And then that was the end of it. It says that there were many other words that he said, and he was warning them to stay away from this crooked and crooked, excuse me, this crooked and perverse generation. And so this would have been much longer than a nine o'clock to nine fifteen type thing, right? The three thousand people got saved that day and that doesn't happen in 15 minutes and so so then verse 31 those who had received his word were baptized that day and they were added about 3,000 souls and that's where we're going to wind up for the day brothers and sisters wouldn't you love to be a part of being bold in the community Giving an invitation and people coming forward to give their lives to Christ. That can happen where you work. That can happen at your job. You eat lunch with people many days. You eat lunch across the table from people many days. You see people out and around town. And I just want to tell you that if Peter isn't obedient to the Holy Spirit working in his life, and if Peter doesn't stand up and make a bold stand for the gospel, none of those 3,000 people would have been saved that day. The Holy Spirit is going to do what he needs to do, but he chooses to do it through obedient people. And brothers and sisters, I pray for you that you would be bold enough to stand up and say, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Savior. And when people go, well, I think this and I think this and I think this. And listen, I get boatloads of people who want to tell me what they think. We need to be willing to take a stand. Okay? And when people are wrong concerning salvation, we need to have the boldness to tell them exactly what the Bible says and not take anything less for an answer. Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for what you did through those 120 first believers. Lord, we thank you that you didn't just send the Holy Spirit and launch everyone into confusion, but leading up to that, you gave four different ways that you prepped the world to understand what was going on. Father, I thank you for Peter and his boldness. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that was working in the hearts and lives of the people who heard that first message. And Lord, I pray that that same Holy Spirit that was alive and active in Peter, Father, I pray that he would be alive and active in our lives as well. Lord, I pray that you would give each of us boldness to take the name of Jesus to our workplaces, to our civic clubs, Father, to the places where we have fun. 
And Lord, I pray that anywhere you lead us, we'd be willing to speak boldly about the name of Jesus. Father, we pray now also that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, to save them of their sins, give them eternal life, and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, we pray that you would receive all the glory, honor, and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand for our hymn of invitation. Well, it's good to see you guys again this week. Uh, Before you go home to lunch and you think, you know, Peter was something special, and so I I can't do the same things that he did, Uh, just remember that Peter was a commercial fisherman by trade who had spent time with Jesus. It was the only training, only qualification he had, and he had the Holy Spirit, which you have as well. And so, brothers and sisters, I am excited to see what sort of great things that God is going to do through you uh, as we go through this book of Acts. And so I'm going to ask uh, Randy Walston if you would close us in prayer.